Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 31 of season one of This Osteopathic Life. If you listened to last episode, I noted we'd be having a continuation, uh, sort of a two-parter in this episode, but I'd like to take a pause for celebration of the holiday in the day and interject this episode in, and then we'll pick up next time in episode 32 with the continuation of Potential. Today, episode 31 on the 31st of October, and that motivated me as well to follow through with this podcast because I like a number pattern uh, more than most. And we're celebrating Halloween. And where I live currently in Ashland, Oregon, it's a big deal. We start on the weekend prior with a race uh, in costume, and it continues into the week. And the Halloween parade that will commence in a few short hours here is open to all. So everyone kind of joins into the parade and it begins at the library and walks down through town, maybe a mile toward the plaza. And thousands of people gathered and outrageous, amazing costumes. And it's a lot of fun. And so a couple things have been coming up for me in recent days and weeks. And thinking today about costumes and in particular masks brought me to a topic to discuss for this 31st episode. When I think about masks on Halloween, you know, there's a purpose, right? It's for the holiday. It's to dress up as something or someone different. And it's a way to be somebody else, to try something else on, to experiment and see what it feels like to be a different character. And there are certainly the scary options. Our office staff today had a variety of clowns of both the friendly and the intense and scary variety. And it's interesting to think about extending that beyond just the day. So when else in our lives are we wearing masks? And are we doing so from a protective place? You know, do we need to have a barrier up between ourselves and the world around us? Do we need to keep up a certain persona that requires some external armor uh, to support us and make it possible? Do we need some different props in order to feel capable or brave enough to do that which we're needing to do. And sometimes that mask is appearance-based. You know, it might be the way we dress or how we present ourselves 
And other times it can be behavioral based, you know, certain things that we're saying or doing that might not be our truest, most authentic self, but the self that we need in that moment to survive or perhaps thrive in a different environment. I think about the costumes that I saw today on the playground as we dropped our children off at school and you know, some were ready-made and store-bought and totally in that category in our world. Others were homemade and crafted and some more skillfully so than others. My contribution to crafting today was cutting pieces of duct tape and folding them in half and fixing them to some plastic glasses to create whiskers. And that's about the sum total of my craftiness. And others were these elaborately made, hand-sewn costumes where you got exactly what they were and they were beautiful and lovely and you know better than store-bought in their way. And I think about that in the masking of ourselves in the world. You know, do we rely on others? Do we need it ready-made? Do we need something that's prefabricated? And to just step into it, maybe for the ease, maybe for the convenience, perhaps for the lack of skill set to craft it ourselves. Are we able to generate this new persona and perception and way of being ourselves? And in that case, you know, is it disingenuine or is it simply just a different version or a different moment of ourselves being presented to the world? Are we making it for someone else? You know, are we such that we are a leader in that way and we're able to craft things that people relate to or they can kind of describe to us and we're able to draft it in a way that perhaps they couldn't? And there's this reciprocal relationship of organization and creativity and development, you know, looking at potential from last week taking something from possibility into actuality. Can we do it ourselves? Or do we need someone else to help us make that which we need to create this mask or this costume to be able to step into the role the world is asking of us? It's interesting to see, and I think about having grown up where I wore a uniform for many years of my education, and I loved it. I loved not having to make the decision. I loved that I could wear the same clothes day after day and you wouldn't really notice unless I had something obviously dirty on them. I loved that there was minimal competition or you know, between people. We just all wore basically the same thing and maybe your shoes were the one place you could get semi-creative. Um, and even then there were a certain framework you had to stay within. And I loathed the dress-up days because you had to make a choice. And, you know, were you going to fit in? Was it going to be as comfortable as those pair of pants that you'd worn day after day after day and did wash occasionally? Um, and I think about the challenges of getting dressed some days for our children and trying to keep their clothing somewhat uniform-like. You know, if there's a certain sweatsuit last year my oldest son loves, we bought it in a few colors and that was that. And mix and match a t-shirt and we were good. My middle son seemed to have a little more challenge with choosing his clothes and somewhat for the fit. And he's often 
a subject of hand-me-downs, but doesn't always align with the style of his older brother. We have a bit more of a struggle. Um, my daughter, much more independent and more opinionated in what she chooses. And for me, you know, I had a uniform of sorts, you know, a dress, leggings, boots, scarf in the wintertime. But it's often fatiguing to have to stop and say, what do I want to wear today? And I admire folks who are so put together and you see the care and the time and the attention to detail and the awareness of coordination in their clothing and in their outfits. And they look amazing and they appear comfortable in what they're wearing. Whereas for me, the one-piece fleecy tiger zip-ups that some of the children are wearing today would totally be my comfort zone. I think about that. How is your everyday dress versus your costume experience? Do you love the everyday and it feels awkward to get into a costume? Or do you totally embrace that moment to step outside that realm and be who you are for that day? Is that actually more comfortable and feel even more familiar, even if it is a one-off experience? I think about that with our experience day to day. You know, even if it's what we're doing every day, perhaps we're having to put on airs. And I want to be clear that I'm not saying this from a critical place. I'm saying it from an observational standpoint of what it can feel like to be masked, to be costumed, to have this barrier in this kind of create this space between you and the world around you. And if it's therapeutic and necessary and helpful, or what do we do when it becomes detrimental and limiting and less than the authentic self that you want to be? And that's the question I want to ask in examining this concept of being masked. And I wonder what it's like, because some of the children today seemed wildly comfortable in this costume. And maybe, again, just physically, those fleecy zip-ups seem like they'd be pretty cozy. It's been chilly here in the mornings. Some seem to love putting on this new identity and having a space and a place for it, right? You might not be able to dress up as a random animal or character or other person on an average day. But today, there's this gift of space to be someone else, and they seemed very encouraged by it. Thinking of what type of mask you would choose. So we'll say today for Halloween, you go into the the scary realm of Halloween and some of the gore and creepiness of the day and this, you know, the scare tactics that can be involved. Do you embrace some of the silly or the whimsical or just the opportunity to try on something else? And we take that step into our daily lives when we are choosing a mask? Are we choosing something that is like someone else? Are we choosing something that's just so very different from us just to see, just to see what it might be like? Are we choosing something silly that allows us to just kind of let go of all the rules and be free in ourselves? Are we choosing something scary? Do we put on a mask and become more intimidating and more aggressive? Are we trying on different feelings and behaviors and actions 
Though we might not otherwise if we were just our true selves, but in the mask, we can see and test and see how people respond. You know, sometimes the costuming gives us that element of safety where it's we can test drive these things in a way that we're not implicated, you know, we're not identified and it's not a reflection of our true self, but we can see how folks might respond to a certain behavior or appearance or word. And a lot of that is digital nowadays, right? So we're masked by our online personas. Sometimes they're very directly linked to our personality and true identity. Other times they're more anonymous. And we can certainly practice different language and responses and reactions in a way we might not if it were face-to-face because of the awkwardness of the exchange. If we were one-on-one in a verbal interaction, sometimes maybe we're better in writing. You know, I tend to be better with the written word than the immediate in-the-moment response with someone. So what masks are we wearing in any of those ways? You know, what do we stand behind that can be a gift, can allow us to have a bit more freedom to explore and get feedback that might be otherwise influenced by our direct personality and identity? And when is it limiting? When is it excusing behavior that might not be acceptable for ourselves in a one-on-one interaction? Or when is it not allowing us to be our truest self? And when is it time to take off the mask? And what happens when we do? How do we reorient to that? How do we re-identify with our true self? And I see this a lot with patients. You know, people will hold up, you know, under certain circumstances and they'll kind of power through and put on again what mask or armor that they need to survive. And then when they finally leave a certain environment or make a change or identify that that wasn't maybe serving their health so successfully, coming out of that can be really challenging. And how do you reorient yourself to who you truly are, who you truly know yourself and want yourself to be and integrate and kind of reintroduce yourself to the world without maybe some of those cover-ups that can be, again, freeing and safe or limiting and shackling for you. So pause with that as I'll leave you with a question to contemplate. What masks do you wear? When do you wear them? Why do you wear them? Did you create them? Were they given to you? Are they still serving you? What would it be like to take them off? How would it be to let yourself stand free and clear and your natural, authentic you in a variety of environments? Where could you encourage others that maybe their mask is okay when they need it? And that also them without it is fantastic as well. So consider that. And as a side note, think about those ridiculous plastic, hard plastic mask with the rubber band and a little slit for breathing that would get so sweaty on the inside. The only one I can really remember was He-Man. And I don't really remember being He-Man, but that's the mask I remember from Halloween time. So that's my Halloween memory. 
for the day for you. If you want to share back yours, I welcome you to do so in the comments or on the website. The other concept that came up and seems to fit in with this theme of Halloween and kind of the scare tactics and the surprise element is the idea of hiding health. And this is something that's kind of circled around in different ways for me and came out in conversation earlier this week in a way that was surprising, both in how it presented and surprising in how it was received. And I've tested it in a couple different situations and each time it seems like it's resonated with folks and each time I've discussed it, I feel like I get a little clearer on how it might be. And perhaps you read the book Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert a few years ago. And she has this image of an idea. You know, the ideas of these living creatures. I put that piece on it, but that's why I mentioned it. It's kind of this little elf, this little gnome, if you will. And they exist, right? They're this creature in existence, this being, and it will find its rightful home. And so she was narrating this. That's what I envisioned is this little creature and he'd go around and say, are you ready for me? Are you ready for me? And then it would find the place where it could manifest successfully. And when I was thinking about health earlier this week and my perception of it in a treatment with a patient, it became more personified. You know, when we think of health and vitality and we can give it different descriptive words, but really particularly in this moment, and in this moment it presented itself in a way that I spoke of it, you know, it felt like more of a, a being, you know, a creature, if you will, like this little gnome of an idea from Elizabeth Gilbert. In so much that I feel like I could describe it with a word and I could think of a m- number of words that I, if I inventory patients over the years and how this kind of being of health felt for them and the treatments and the expression of it. But what came up was that it felt like the health was hiding. And as I considered that and as we kind of dialogued it, it was as if the health was there and it was vital and potent and fully present you know, and responsive to treatment. But it was reluctant to kind of sing through, to be seen, to present itself. And as we discussed some possibilities of why, I thought about other instances for myself, for my children, for previous patients, where I had a similar sense. And in the grandest sense of osteopathy and recognizing the capacity to be well, to have health, for self-healing. You know, health is continuous, right? It's within us, it's outside of us, it's one thing, it's one being, it's one experience. But we put up boundaries, right? Through modern life, through illness and stress and exposure and environmental restrictions and sometimes ignoring our intuition, we create a lot of obstructions. And so that there are these 
dividing boundaries. And I think of like those water tables that you would have in a kid's play area. You know, and all the water's there and it's continuous, but we start to put in these barricades and we create dams where it no longer can flow. We create waterfalls because we change the height and the relationship potential, going back to it. We create barriers and make flow more challenging, right? It has to go through bends in the river in order to move through rather than just flowing freely through an open path. And that's a lot of what we do in life, and that's some of what we do in osteopathic treatment is start to remove some of those boundaries to get back to that flow and that openness and that wholeness and that completeness and that continuation of health without any interruptions. You know, that's the grand design. That's the perfect form. That's the inherent capacity that we are working with, working toward. It's always there. You know, it's there on some level. And this experience it almost felt like the health economy encapsulated itself. It had found maybe a safe place to be in its internal environment and wasn't totally sure about turning itself out to the external world. And maybe it had tried in the past and been brutally rebuffed. And once bitten twice shy or thrice or 10 times, said, you know what? I've been out there. And it was bad, you know, it was mean and it was toxic and it was stressful. And I think I'm just going to stay in here. And while that might be a self-preservation technique, over time, like anything, it's going to blunt the ability of that health to have its fullest expression if it's never able to be met or to be held or to be mirrored or to be accepted or to be encouraged in the full spectrum of internal and external environments. And I thought about that and I talked it through with an osteopathic colleague who was in town and visiting for a course. And it was really quite interesting to consider a which comes first situation, which we have so often, right? Do you need to nurture the internal environment Are we going to be an incubator for the health in that way? Do we get it as robust as it can be, you know, so it can withstand an external environment that exists and where it might be received? Do we need to bolster up the external environment and create that nurturing space? And what changes are we able to control in a positive way and to make it possible for the health to be received in a way that reflects its inherent capacity that will mirror it, that will give back rather than just draw energy from the health? How do we create that safe space? Can we? You know, is it within our control to do that? And sometimes it feels like no. We talked a little bit the last time about how much seems to be beyond our control and where do we even begin when we're looking at making modifications in our environment. But I think what came from it for me that I'm going to sit with and I'm going to consider, hopefully not overanalyze, you can certainly be too much aggressive focus on this, but what is the experience of health? Where are those boundaries? You know, what divisions have we created? And what is limiting 
its fullest expression, its willingness or capacity to be out in the greater, broader environment, community, world. And what can we do to be nurturing of that? And certainly I will begin, I was going to say with my patients, which is reasonable, but what's more necessary is I will begin with myself and think about how is the health? You know, how is the health internally? What is the perception of the health and inherent capacity? And how is it aligning with my immediate external environment, my greater external environment? Am I creating those boundaries myself? And can I start to let them down? Am I putting myself in a situation of nurturing, you know, be that on schedule maintenance, you know, more hours spent working or accounted for with responsibility can make for an environment where the health isn't ready or doesn't feel safe coming through. I will continue with the episodes and hopefully in writing. Tomorrow marks the 1st of November. And for anybody who's interested, I've been told it's NaNoWriMo, N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O, National Novel Writers Month. And there are challenges to encourage you to get words on paper over the course of the month and see what you can produce by the end. And it's a virtual community. It's also uh, possible for it to be alive in your community, community uh, redundancy there. There are meetup groups in various locations regionally. And I'm going to use that impetus to follow through on the second challenge I gave myself with this osteopathic life, the first being the podcast, and the second being getting the book down on paper by February of 2020, which is not so far off. And we'll see how that goes. So creating those environments that we need to allow the health to peek through, to present itself, to maybe, you know, lean its head out or to step forward totally into the sunlight and be seen and be supported and be reflected and be encouraged and be enhanced. So that is the second concept I wanted to address in this Halloween podcast on the 31st of October for episode 31 and leave you with those thoughts for contemplation and these will be expanded upon going forward. I really wanted to take that time today and see where that took us. So I hope you all have a lovely holiday. I hope you can enjoy the time and the opportunity to don whatever mask you have for the day and examine if you're ready to take them off at other times. And if your health is hiding, maybe look at how you can encourage it to step out of the shadows and into the light. This is Dr. Amelia Beeky with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.